reading from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9, and we will go to verse 17. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Good morning. I can, I can still say good morning. I'm going to grab this thing over here. Would, was there really that many of you who would want a live animal as a gift? <laughs> I was genuinely surprised. I, I, but that, I think it's maybe it's just a, an animal-loving congregation, which is great. Um, it's good. Um, it was, uh, I don't know, probably the, 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 the early 90s, and it was one of these, these, we always did nice Christmases in our home as far as gifts. I know there are different sensibilities and, 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 you know, from, the, from folk who are quite anti-materialistic and, and in other homes where there's just, it's just a gift, uh, you know, galore type thing. We, we did gifts at our place, and there was one Christmas where it was quite a satisfying Christmas. There were, there were lots of nice gifts, and we were all just sitting around, finished with the gift-giving business. And then my dad said, oh, here's, here's something else. And it was a card. And this is how I remember it. It's been a number of years ago now. But long story short, I ended up going outside, looking in the back of the pickup truck, and there was this nice, wonderful faux rack stereo system. Now, I was probably about 14 or 15 I don't know what it's like today because, you know, everything's so tiny. But back then, I don't know if it was, if you remember the 80s and the 90s, it were, it, we had these lovely rack systems. You'd have your dual cassette deck, your equalizer, your, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And then on the top, there would be the, uh, the turntable. So you could, you could just spin. So it was one of those. And the speakers were about this big. You know, there were two of them. My mom was delighted when I brought that home. To, uh, at any rate, so, we, so it was this wonderful, wonderful gift. What makes a wonderful gift? Talk to me. This is a bit of an interactive time this morning. Uh, tell me, what makes a wonderful gift? How do you make a wonder? How do you purchase? How do you pick the most wonderful gifts for somebody? Something they'll use. Something they'll use. It's useful, particularly that person. Yes. What else? 
surprise them. If you, and, and that was something that happened for me. It was a surprise. I did not expect it. I thought it was done. What else makes a wonderful gift? Put thought into it. Yes. What else? They know your character. Absolutely. I, I, I think that's definitely a key. A gift that really demonstrates the person's put some thoughtfulness into it, and they know you. How many of you have received a gift that does not have those characteristics? Perhaps a gift that does not demonstrate that thoughtfulness or really is not that useful. You, you, so you know what it is to get a gift of, of rocks or, or something like that. Um, how many of you have gotten a wonderful gift? It's funny you mentioned socks, Howard, because I was going to mention socks in just a moment, actually. Um, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, I generally get socks and, and really enjoy them because um, it's cold. My fingertips are really freezing coming down here this morning. Um, some gifts are like that. If you're, if, particularly when I was a kid, it was great to get a toy. I mean, a box of Lego or something like that. It was wonderful. Star Wars toys. But then there were usually the socks or the nice shirt or even the undershirts, that sort of thing. Now, here's the deal, though. The socks are very useful. I mean, they're actually very helpful. And I kind of enjoy socks now. No hints or anything, Jocelyn. But these are great things. Now, I think a sermon is really meant to be a bit of a gift. Uh, if we do this well this morning, it's a gift for you. Now, some sermons might be a bit more like Lego. Quite nice, quite exciting to open. Some might be more like socks. Just something you need. Keeps you warm. Now, I'm really hoping that today... We'll kind of land at least on the Lego side, but if it's just socks for you this, this morning, almost afternoon, if it's just socks, hopefully it'll be nice wool socks that'll really be useful. So that's, that's kind of where we're going today. And in thinking about gifts, I think for us as Christians, we really need to think of our lives as a gift to the world around us. Uh, if you get nothing else today, that, this is where we're going to land. We are blessed and we're meant to bless others. All right, we are meant to be a gift. We talked about it with the kids, and, and that's what we're going to do today. If you haven't, turned in your Bibles when Fiona read it. It is page 11 of 84 in the, in the Bibles here in the church. Otherwise, we're in Colossians. Um, and we're going to spend some time just thinking about how we treat one another. How do we act with each other? Um, this is not the only passage in the Bible that speaks to the importance of how we as Christians treat one another. Uh, this is something that Jesus himself flagged when he was here on earth um, in, in, in incarnate. He said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And here's the key. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, we can have on the one hand, the purest doctrine. We can, we can love the Bible, know the Word, and really embrace biblical truth. All right, And then th there's some folks within Christianity, I don't even think they read the Bible, but they love Jesus like nobody's business. Do you know what I mean? Have you, have you met both sides of the spectrum? And, and they are the most gracious, loving, kind people. And, and, and if, you're, if you're really doctrinal, you might think, do, do you really know what, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but here's the key. This passage, what Jesus said to us, is others outside of Christianity will know him by the way we love one another. Now, I've just picked on doctrine versus non-doctrinal. There's all sorts of ways that we are different, and we'll unpack that a little bit as we go because it's in our passage today. But as Christians, we are meant to demonstrate a high level of love for one another. 
Now, I'm sure for all of you that's wonderfully easy. This is, you know, that, that's never a problem. You've never come across a Christian that you don't agree with or that you have troubles with. However, if you're like me, that's not always the case. The way we act as Christians is oftentimes misunderstood by those outside. This is true throughout church history. Um, in the early days of the church, there was a bit of confusion about what Christians were about. Justo, Justo Gonzalez is a, is a Cuban-American historian, and he wrote two wonderful volumes called The Story of Christianity. They're very readable. They start from Acts and go up to today as far as the history of the church. This is what he wrote about the early church and how people misunderstood Christians. Christians would gather weekly for a love feast and refer to each other as brother and sister, even calling their spouses brother and sister. As the non-Christian world observed these practices, their imaginations went wild as they envisioned Christians getting together for parties of drunkenness and exchanges of inappropriate intimacy, let's say. Communion was misunderstood because Christians spoke of being nourished by the blood of Christ and referred to Christ as a little child. So non-Christians misunderstood this to be an event of initiation where Christians ate little babies cooked inside of bread. Guys, from the early days, the point is Christians sometimes can be viewed as weird. I mean, no offense to us, but that's one of the ways people will look at Christianity. They'll think, what is up with these guys? And that has been true throughout history. We are really meant to be known by our love. And we'll just have to cope with misunderstandings along the way. People judge us by our actions. Regardless of what people think, the truth is they're watching us, period. As we look at this letter in Colossians, uh, keep in mind that many of the things listed here in the verses we're going to look at are things that we're meant to put into practice. Um, just a bit of background about Colossians. Uh, there's some similarities to our situation. I think it's, if you're going to do biblical interpretation, you want as much as you can put yourself in the scene of when it was written. Uh, that's, that's context. That's how we understand who the letter's to, what it's for. Uh, it, it, when I'm with the youth, it's the simple way of saying it is you, you don't wear a swimsuit uh, to church. You don't wear a bathing suit to church, and, and you, don't, you don't wear a swimsuit outside when it's freezing. It's context. You want to understand specifically what's happening in this place. This letter was written, Colossians was written about 60 AD um, to, the, to the Christians in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, at the time, this town was probably a bit on decline. It would have been known for its wool trade. Makes me think of Scotland as we have so many sheep everywhere. Um, this has been, been kind of that region in the Middle East would have been known for that. Um, Paul himself, who's the writer of this letter, it seems that he's never been to Colossae. And we'll see evidence of that in the book. He says in, in the introduction of Colossians chapter 1, if you want to look at it, but it's, it's verses 3 through 4 of chapter 1 when he's introducing his letter. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ, Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints. What a fantastic thing. We have heard of your love. We have heard of your faith. And when I read that, I wonder, what, what have folks heard about us? Did they hear of our love? Did they hear of our faith? If we were to receive a letter from someone somewhere else to PBC, is this what characterizes us? Now, the Colossian church was diverse. It was made up of both Jewish believers 
and Gentile believers. And we've spoken about this before. The Jewish folk who came into Christianity, they brought their history, their baggage of legalism, of tradition, of good things. You've seen Fiddler on the Roof. Remember the tradition song? There were, th- these things were built in to their faith, and they brought that with them as they came to Christianity. The Gentiles came from other places, other faiths. They brought in uh, different mystical elements. Um, Agnosticism was something that was really a big part of uh, a heresy that was happening in the New Testament, this mystery religion. And these things were combining in the middle here in this church. So Paul is writing this letter to address this church that's getting a little bit off on what they believe and what they're supposed to believe. Epaphras is perhaps the guy who started the church. He's mentioned in this letter as well. Um, And so Paul is is, is likely responding to his ask for help. So chapter 1, just as a bit of background before we get to our text, chapter 1 then unpacks the reality that Jesus is God, and he is all that we need. He is sufficient for everything. It's Christ alone who saves us. It's worth emphasizing because the church itself was struggling with a Gnostic heresy, and at times we probably tend to want to struggle with, what else do we have to do? If our faith is based on anything except for Jesus alone, it's not a biblical faith. So that's what's at stake here. So in chapter 1, Paul really addresses the centrality, the importance of Jesus Christ alone. In chapter 2, he continues to urge them to remain faithful to the true gospel in the midst of these other ideas floating around. Uh, As a Christian, again, we come from different places. You'll have watched things come and go for the Christian church. Different fads, different things that we get excited about. Um, Many of us will have been influenced by the 50s and 60s of, of Billy Graham's ministry. And I know that would have been a big influence here in the UK. You, you, would go to your, you, you could speak to your parents, and they would likely have been a part of those crusades. And the way that we do church has been influenced by these things. The most important thing is that we're faithful to the true gospel. And that's what Paul's emphasizing in Colossians chapter 2. And we have to ask ourselves, what, um, what distracts us from the gospel? Colossians 2.8 sums up that, that, that chapter. He says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So we just have to ask ourselves and keep in check, what is distracting us from Jesus alone? And that's what this letter's doing. If we're to look at what it is to be a blessing to others, we have to start with the foundation that you find in chapter 53. And this is in light of chapters 1 and 2. It's Jesus. And with Jesus, our relationship is a blessed relationship. And you can think about what it is to know somebody, have somebody in the know. This might be a dodgy question, but how many of you have ever tried to get a job, but it really made a difference because you knew somebody? Has anybody ever had that experience? Anyone? Nobody wants to admit because it sounds a bit like nepotism. But, you know, the reality is it's networking. It's people you know. There is a benefit to, to knowing a person. And for us as Christians, we know Jesus Christ. So having engaged, encouraged the church to nail down their identity in Christ, 
He then encourages them in this chapter as to what that practically looks like. And he starts with this identity. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things of the earth. As Christians, we just simply have a different outlook. We're really meant to see the world differently. And our minds are meant to be set on things above not on things in the earth. And, and, and even as Ruth shared this morning, we're going to have weeks that are just no good. We're going to go through things that are hard, and our perspective makes all the difference. And that's something that God's been teaching me over the last few years, probably all of my life, but maybe it's hard for me to listen. But even in the last couple of weeks, there have been times when, do you ever have those moments where your brain just starts going, and you just start thinking about things, and, and then you start rehearsing conversations with people? that are just not real? Do you guys ever do that? Or is that, am I just shallow? And you, and you have this kind of, and you think of the perfect thing to say. I don't know what my personality type is that makes, I mean, some of you will, but, but there's this thing that, that happens where I'm having a conversation with person, a person that will never happen in real life. And then you just start staying awake. And so I was having a night like that a couple weeks ago where I just, I wasn't sleeping very well. And it was, I got up and washed the mud off of the boots downstairs. That's how desperate it was. That was between 3.30 and 4.30. Nobody else, in the, you know how you get too much mud in your shoes and the house kind of stinks a little bit in the, in the floor? Anyway, so I got the mud off the shoes, went back to bed, and I just prayed, Lord, I know this is nonsense. These conversations running around in my head are nonsense. I need some rest. And, and within a couple seconds later, I had a dream. I don't even remember what the dream was, but here's what the deal was. The Lord actually answered that prayer. It was about 5.30, and I woke up at around 6.30, and the Lord blessed me with refreshment and rest and with a clear mind having been set on him that this was a bunch of nonsense. He reset me. So that's an experience where God's just done it in my life. But I can tell you that when we do this, when we focus our heads and our hearts on him, he genuinely can reset our minds. That's not always, I've not always had that discipline to do that. I, I don't want you to be discouraged if you think, oh, that's really tough for me. Be encouraged. Um, but know that there's, there's a, a bit of a choice that we have to make where we do this, where we set our minds on him. Does, does that make sense? Not everything just happens easily. So these verses here, verses 1 and 2 of Colossians 3, this is the foundation of what our perspective needs to be when we start considering what it is, how, how we deal with people outside of us. We have to have ourselves set right, and that foundation is set on Jesus. All right? You with me? Are we okay? It's a bit late. We're going to keep going, get through it. Uh, the, next, the next few verses, verses 3 through 8, we're not going to unpack those this morning. Um, but I would say, if this was a three-point sermon that was a different subject, this would be the second point, verses 3 through 8. And that would be the knock off the things that are distracting and of the enemy and of the old life. All right, so this is, this is your homework assignment. Um, have a look at verses 3 through 8 sometime over the next week, and you're going to see this list of negative things, of sin, and ask yourself, and the thing we need to do is, is any of this stuff still linger in my life? Do any of these things that are listed in those verses still hang out with me? Because we have to put those things away. So we start with a set identity in Jesus, and then we put away the old life. And he does that in us. That's an outworking of his, his experience with us. And then we get to what we're going to talk about today. And that's these next characteristics that we see verses 9 through 17 unpack, okay? So there's seven things that I think we can look at. Um, somebody else might break them down differently. 
But these would be seven practices that I think we see in Colossians 3, 9 through 17. And once, we're, once we finish with seven, we'll be done. All right, so you can count down as we go. So let's have a first look at this first one. It's going to be in verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So those verses start with do not lie. Trust is a basic element of our relationships with one another. It's, it's really interesting what Paul does here with verse 11 in particular. He addresses these different places we come from. Now, now church, I've got to confess to you, these types of verses are often misused in church life to, to, to be used for um, justifying the way that we are different. But actually, what these verses are about, they're not trying to identify all these different identities that we might want to grab onto. The, ver- the purpose of these verses is to say that we are identified with Jesus. So it, as an American, for example, when I come to this church at PBC, I, I, my identity is not an American. I'm a kingdom citizen. For those of you who've moved up to this lovely part of the world from down south, while you may be English and feel it, at the end of the day, when we come together as a Christ community, that's not your identity. We come together as Christians. Now, there's other divisions that we might have as we tribal up, because we're quite tribal, aren't we? Let's think about politics. S&P, labor, Tories. This is really relevant right now, isn't it? There's an election coming up, and we'll have differences among us. And you know, honestly, I, I've, I've spoken to people who might have a, quite a difficult time if they're in one political party, trusting somebody else in another political party. And this is the way the thinking goes. Like, if you can believe that's the right way, you're not thinking. You know what I mean? You, you know, you just, you, we just view each other as a bit, what is going on with that? Liberal, conservative, all these different labels we can come to the table with. In this room, there's several nationalities. I can see Filipino. I can see Danish. I can see American. I can see English. I can see Scottish or British, whichever ones you want to do. All of that stuff... It doesn't matter when we come together and find our identity in Christ. And that's how we actually can trust one another. Because it's not my politics that drives me. It's not my nationality that drives me. It's our identity in Jesus. So that's how we trust one another. We can own that. We can have that as part of our background. But, but I know that I'm safe with you relationally because of Christ. And we can actually disagree about some things. Because there's something bigger than politics or our national identity, etc. Does that make sense? Do you see how this tribalism can kind of, like, kind of divide us? What's the idiom? Birds of a feather? Okay, good. We use that one in this country. Okay, Birds of a feather flock together. That's what we do. And you can travel to different parts of the world and you'll find specific uh, homogeneous groups of people flock together. The, the signs on the stores will be a different language. We like to, to tribe up. But folks, we are of a different kingdom. And we can trust one another because it's about the new self and what Christ is doing through us. We're being renewed in knowledge after the image of, its, of our creator. So trust. Second thing, looking at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We looked at this at our last family service, these verses. I think they're summed up simply in others first, putting others first. Softball, do you have any connection? Do you know softball at all? I would pick an American sport, wouldn't I? I would. I could have like looked for a running ex- example of this, but I'll explain to you. Softball is like rounders, okay? There are four bases. You bat up, you hit a ball, and you have to get to each base, and then when you get to the last base, you score a point. Does that make, is that fairly, you guys are smart. Does that fairly make sense? Some of you are like, I don't understand these games, these American games. Well, here's the deal. The, the, these individuals up here, this young lady is named Sarah Tukolsky. This is her in the middle in 2008, okay? This is her senior year, uh, her last game of softball. She's never had a home run, and on this day, she hits a home run. Now, a home run is when you've hit the ball outside the boundary, and you get a free run around the bases. What would that be? What would the equivalent? A hole-in-one in golf? Six in cricket? I mean, it's, it's free. Once, if you hit the ball that well, it's free. However, you have to touch each base. So Sarah starts running around the bases, and she realizes after she's passed the first plate that she, she's missed the first base. And if she goes to the home plate, she doesn't score. So she pivots quickly to go back to first base and tears ligaments in her knees. She then crawls in pain and agony back to first base, touches the base, but can't go on. The umpires, they don't know what to do. What are we going to do? If anybody else from her team touches her and helps her, they don't get the score. Then comes in two folks from the other team. You've got Mallory Holtman and Liz Wallace. And they ask the umpire, well, can we help her? And so the opposing team pick her up, they walk to each plate, they set her foot down, and then go to home base, where she scores a home run. They're thinking, well, she's already scored this. She deserves it. They lost the game. The opposing team lost the game. They gave up the win for the game. I think that's a bit of a picture of what it looks like to put others first. It's easy to, to open the door for somebody. Hello, welcome, come in. It's easy to pull out a chair. You know, it's, it's easy for us to do subtle little others first thing. But what if the game's on the line and putting others first mean we lose the game? I think that's what we do as Christians. We put others first. How do you do it? How do you do it? Question to think on. Third thing, forgiveness. Let's just skip this one and move on. No, I'm, I'm joking. First, uh, verse 13 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. I've been in youth ministry for a long time. And 1996 was one of the first experiences I had. It was, it was a summer internship program. We've had Samantha and Whitney and Hunter over the last couple summers here. Just had finished university and I had this summer where I worked at my home church. And um, I, I don't need to go into all that. But there was this one young lady. Her name was Megan. There's a picture over here. Megan Napier. Megan was a twin. Her and her sister, Carmen, uh, were in our youth group. They were in, in S2, S3 about that time. And just tremendous. Renee in this picture is one of our youth workers. Perhaps, I don't know if she's still there or not, but um, fantastic family. Just a lot of fun. Love to laugh. Full of joy. Just wonderful. And uh, I can remember a particular couple times just being able to hang out with their family, enjoying McDonald's together, all sorts of things. Just, just tremendous. Um, in 2000, 
the year 2000, Megan here was, was killed by a drunk driver. Um, coming home, she had another friend in the car, and this, this, this guy who'd, who'd probably done it before just smashed into the car, pretty much instantly dead. That's the guy right there. Uh, his name is Eric, and that's Megan's mom. M- Megan's mom, Renee, started doing uh, talks on, on drunk driving throughout the states in high schools, churches, military bases, and all sorts of things. And ultimately, uh, this fellow, Eric, who had been sentenced to, I think it was 24 years maybe in prison, uh, started to get released, and they would do presentations together. Renee forgave him. An incredible act of forgiveness. He killed her daughter, but she forgave him. And now their relationship is such that she sees him like a son. And they would do presentations together, sharing about, hey, don't drive drunk. Incredible. There's tons of stories like this. And that's really, that's really the power of Christ. That's what gave Renee the perspective to be able to do that. You can find them online and, and, and hear that story or see some more of those things, but our forgiveness for one another should be peculiar. We can get quite grumpy, Christians and non-Christians alike, but people are watching that stuff. It should be absolutely bizarre how willing we're to forgive one another. Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Love. And above all, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. I don't think there's really anything else to say about that. I don't, I don't need to preach too much on that. Um, love is the thing that holds it all together. All these other attributes that we're talking about, it's love that puts the belt on. When we tried to do this with the family talk last uh, couple months ago, I put a belt on the kids because it's love that holds all this stuff together. Verse uh, 15, number 5. Unification, unified, peace. Verse 15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Ask yourselves, we need to ask, what causes us not to strive with other people? What are the things that break the relationships that prevent us from going on with other people? And there may be some appropriate things that do that, but we still need to check that. I've actually, since I've lived here in, in Pitt Lockery, I, I know of a, of a family where one spouse is a believer and the other spouse is not. And um, this breaks my heart, but the non-believing spouse communicated to the believing spouse, Why? it's the same. Why do I need this? There's really no difference between, you know, the Christian people and, and my life. People are watching Do we have a radical forgiveness? Do we have a radical love? Do we actually have this unity, this peace amongst us? Ask yourself these questions. What would it take to see some broken relationships healed? I think most of us probably have some sort of touch of a broken relationship. What needs to be done? I'll give you this for free. Jesus acted first. We've talked about this before. If, if, you, know, you get in those conflicts where you're like, well, they need to come to me. They need to come tell me what's up. They need to come apologize to me. Jesus comes first. While we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. Even if you're the one wronged, perhaps we're still the one to make it right. 
peculiar, strange, isn't it? That's the Christian life. That's what Jesus calls us to. That's what Paul's encouraging us to do. God's Word. Verse 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You'll see these words in reference to God's Scripture in other places. When you think of teaching, this is, I think of this as a bit preemptive. Um, teaching is, is, is the stuff that we do up, up front. It's, the, it's the, not literally up front here, but before, before actions. So if you're going to teach me how to cut wood, for example, we're going to do that before I cut the wood. All right? Now, let's say I go cut some wood and, and mess up. Yeah, I hit my leg or something with the axe. I don't, I don't know what, I don't want to give you too bad of a picture. But admonishment, that's the correction piece. So that's the after piece. So scripture, it works on both sides, before and after. And it should be characteristically important in our lives. And then singing. Music is such a powerful thing. That's why Jamie mentioned this business of the arts hut. There, there is a desire to use music and arts as a tool, and particularly in a community where we have a lovely theater. Uh, this is something that's on our radar. There's a power in singing, and that's something that should, should characterize our, our lives as Christians. Have you ever been in one of those church services, and we all have different preferences on musical styles, but where the music just was moving? You know, for some of us, maybe that's a grand choir with a, a magnificent organ. And I've been there. I've done it. I like it. I'm happy with all of it. Um, and, 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 and then even one of those, I love it when you've got the wonderful music and then the music stops and everybody's singing a cappella and it just fills the space. Powerful. Or sometimes there's this soul music where it's just organic and the people who are leading just are clearly uh, in a moment where their love for God is just pouring out in the way they're singing, and we join in together. All of these things can be wonderful. Music is powerful, particularly when it's centered on God's Word. Singing should be a tool for glorifying God, not for glorifying our indulgences, but that's another sermon for another time. Thankfulness should also be characteristic of our experience with God's Word, and it should be part of our hearts. Last one here, folks. God gets all the praise. That's where we end with verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's attribution. Our lives are good. We are blessed because of Jesus. I've got non-Christian family, and whenever I speak about God blessing me or, or good to me, one of, they don't say this so much, but I, I used to get correction. No, son, that's you working hard. You know what, actually, it's probably a bit of both. God's given me a work ethic when I, when I apply it. So even if you might say, Ken, that's your good work, it's only because God's so good to me and the attributes he's given us. So all good things come from him. And so we, we must give God the credit. That's what we do as Christians. Now, how does this play out in how we act around other people? I genuinely think that we should be a gift I think our presence should be a gift. We should change the temperature of a room. I don't always get this right, mind you, so, 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 so bear with me, but when we walk into a room, 
rather than just reflecting the temperature of the room, what if we walked in as a thermostat and it actually changed the temperature of the room? When you leave the room, people are like, oh man, that was nice. How about that, that, that guy? It was good to have Martin in here with us today. How about Douglas? He's so gentle and kind and just a good... What, what if, you know, when we are interacting with people, it just changes the temperature? I think that's how we're meant to be. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are also doing. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There is something about our lives that is supposed to be encouraging to one another. And you know what? It's not just with us as, a, as Christians amongst each other. We're not only, come on, y'all are okay. We're, we're not only supposed to focus on blessing uh, those who are like us and that we like or in the tribe of Christianity, but, but others as well. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. <laughs> Quite subtle, huh? How do we bless others? How, we do, how do we bless those within the faith and those without the faith? We've got to be honest. We've got to be real. And we've got to live this life for Jesus. And I think Paul gives us some practical instruction on how to do that with these seven things we've just talked about. Now, let's make this real practical to end with it, okay? It's 1230. We're hungry. We want some tea and coffee. How can you bless somebody this week? Talk to me. What are some things we can do? Tell me. Start yelling them out. Time. Give some people some time. How else can you bless others? Come on, you want to leave? You're going to have to talk to me. You may not have been connected the last couple hours or however long it's been, but you're going to leave. You're going to talk to me right now. What do we need to do to bless others? Pray for them. Yes. Listen to them. What else? Yeah. Text of scripture encouragement. Kind and compassionate. Notes. A couple weeks ago, uh, some of the girls within the youth group, they just wrote lunch notes to each other. Did you ever get a note in your lunchbox when you were a kid? What if we did that for one another? What, if, what if, you, if your husband goes to work or your wife goes to work and she opens up and, oh, there's a little love note that says, I hope you have a great day. Wouldn't that be fun? Just simple things. It doesn't have to be grand and, and dramatic. Um, I mean, if you're not awkward like me, hugs are nice, you know? Smiling. I know I've talked about that in the past. There's so many ways that we can simply bless each other every day. Think about it. Think about something you can do this week that'll be a gift for somebody else. That'll be a blessing. And make it really practical, okay? Hey, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you're so good to us. We are blessed because of our relationship with you. Help us to live like it. Father, now I know that um, in spite of that, sometimes it's still hard. Your word is filled with people who lament and have difficulty. So God, I'm not asking that we fake, fake our joy but Lord, I ask that you give us a joy that's real, that's even beyond our hurts and beyond our trials, beyond the things that hurt us and keep us down. And Lord, for those in the room who are struggling, who this business of, of, of blessing others is really hard because they're going through a real difficult time, help those of us around those people to be that blessing. Help us to carry one another. Lord, that's why we're a family, because it's not always wonderful. So help us to be able to carry each other when it's hard to be that gift. 
And so may there, for those in the room who need to experience the blessing in your goodness, may they experience that. And for those of us who just need to be given it more, help us to do that. Help us to do both. So bless us, Lord, so that we can be a blessing to others. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.